0: want to go ahead and find your seats. We'll get started. If you got your Bibles and you want to follow along, um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Uh, We won't get all the way through it tonight. We'll only get probably about uh, six verses in. Uh, So this will be a two-part lesson, and as you can see, the title is A A New Way of of Life. Um, I thought I'd start tonight with Trivia: How many of you know uh, what century it was when chapters and verses were first put into the Bible? Anybody got to guess what century it was when chapters and verses were introduced to the Bible? Huh? Second? No. Huh? Fifth. Fifth. Closer, but still no. Uh, we We won't go on too long. So, the first Bible, the first English Bible. Uh, that had chapters and verses included in it was the Geneva Bible, which was published in fifteen sixty um, now you and i have i mean we 've all grown up with chapters and verses in the bible right and and i and they 're very good they're they 're very helpful um, you know we can just call things out john three sixteen or john fourteen six or galatians two twenty or romans ten nine or Romans 6.23. And even as I say those those chapters and verses, a lot of you already know what those verses are. It's, it's a very simple and easy way to refer to Scripture. But for three quarters, at least for the New Testament, uh, for at least three quarters of the time that it's been in existence, uh, there were no chapters and verses. There certainly were no chapters and verses in Paul's uh, original um, letter. Now, the reason I bring that up is because Tonight, we come into a new chapter, and you may think, well, new chapter means new subject, but that wouldn't wouldn't be true. Again, Paul didn't have a chapter 7. Paul was still writing. What he's dealing with in chapter 7 is the same thing that he was dealing with in chapter 6. You remember in chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said this, Sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. So he's introduced this contrast for Christians. You're not under law. Now you're under grace. Now, chapter six, he really dealt with the grace side of it, did a really good job of that. And what he taught us was that God himself delivers us from sin. That's justification. He makes us right with him. And then he infills us with the Holy Spirit. He writes the law of God on our heart. And he brings us to obedience where we bring forth fruit. That's sanctification. And the end of both of those are eternal life. That's what we get from being under grace. But here in chapter 7, Paul's not done. And what he's going to do is he's going to deal with the other side of the coin. And he's going to talk to us about what it means to be not under the law. Now, I think most of us understand that as human beings, I won't say it's human nature, but at least it's part of being human that we we create laws, we create rules, right? To live our life by. Um, it's part of uh allows us to maintain order. We do it in our society, we do it in our businesses, we do it uh in our um in our families, we do it in our churches, right? You, you have to have rules. You have to have have order. And that's all a perfectly good thing because without them, you'd have chaos. Uh, last Sunday, Kathy and I, after church, I had to go to Ace to pick something up. And I don't know how many of y'all have been there in the last few days, but you notice they repaved their parking lot. And uh, well, last Sunday, we, we get there. And for some reason, they had striped one half of it. They had striped the north side. And on the south side, they hadn't. Well, on the north side, everybody was parked real nice in these nice little rectangles, right? They'd all pulled in. The south, I mean, the south side was pure chaos. Man, cars were just all, you know, Kathy and I were on that side. They couldn't, people didn't know where to pull up to or, and it was just, it was just terrible. You see, we need lines in our life, don't we? We we need lines. It brings order, and that's a good thing. There's There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. Paul has just made an incredible statement. Paul has said not being under the law doesn't bring chaos in your life. It brings order. That not being under law doesn't bring sin into your life. It actually brings righteousness. Now, how can that be? I mean, everything that we know says, man, more rules are better. The more rules we have, the more order we have, the more we can mandate behavior, the more we can control. Paul said, no, no, be, not being under the law and being under grace, that creates true order in your life. That creates true righteousness, not chaos. But it seems to go against the grain of what we know as human beings. So Paul needs to talk about that. He can't just let that go. Now, an order to teach us what he wants to teach us, he's going to use an example. And the example he's going to use right off the bat is the example of marriage. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. He says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Now, what Paul is saying is really simple. It was true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. When a man and woman are, are married, okay, they can't just go, for example, the woman just can't go marry another man. That's against the law. Um, at least it still is today. Who, who knows, you know, 50 years from now, what, 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 they'll come up with. But at least for now, bigamy is against the law. And now adultery actually is against the law in some states, although it's not enforced. But if she, if she goes with another man, she would be called an adulteress. And, and so we, we understand that. It's a very common thing that he's talking about. It was, it was true 2,000 years ago, and it's true to today. Now, in Romans 7-4, He's going to take that analogy and he's going to apply it to a Christian. Okay, He's going to take that same analogy and he's going to apply it to a Christian. Look at verse 4. He says, likewise, or in the same way, brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, let's stop right there. Remember what we learned in chapter 6. When we are united with Christ by faith, God sees his crucifixion, his death. He sees that as our death. That's why the Bible says we have been crucified with him, or Romans 6, 5. We've been united with him in a death like his. So his death, God counts his death as our death. That's why Paul can say you've died to the law through the body of Christ. So Paul is saying in our unity with with Jesus, we've died and we've been released from that law. It's not binding on us anymore. It doesn't have any power over us, any authority over us, any control over Now, the next thing he's going to say is the most important thing, okay? So I want to just tell you right up front, what he's about to say is the most important. I want you to watch the purpose of this death. Verse 4, Likewise, brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. You see, you're not set free from sin just to drift out in space and be unattached. You are redeemed, you are atoned for, you are set free from sin for the purpose of being united with Jesus Christ, the risen, living Savior. So that's what Paul is saying. You've been released from the law for the very purpose of being joined to to Jesus Christ. And again, he he says this is a, a living, breathing person that we're united with. Now, I've been saying this for two or three weeks now. I'm going to say it again. Christianity is more than just making a decision. Christianity is more than just uh, making a choice. Christianity is so much more than just walking down an aisle. It's more than even being set free from sin. It is a unification with Jesus Christ. That, I mean, that's what Paul keeps coming back to over and over again, this unity that we have with, with Christ. Now, he's not done. Let's read the rest of the verse. Likewise, brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. And here's the final result, in order that we might bear fruit for God. We said it last week, didn't we? This idea that somehow you can get saved and go out and never serve Jesus, never walk in holiness, that is not in the Bible. You don't find that anywhere in the Bible. Every Christian that is truly indwelt with the Spirit, that is truly born again, that has truly been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that person will bear fruit for God, period. That's just period. That's It's taught over and over and over again. So now, here's Paul's answer. Remember, what we, the the question was this. What is it about being out from under the law and being under grace that makes a person... Not go to chaos, not go to disorder, not move to sin, but actually makes that person bear fruit from God, it's because that person is now unified with a person who is Jesus Christ. We belong to him. And that unity with him, us in him, him in us, that's what brings us, uh, has us bring forth fruit. Unity with Jesus makes us more like Jesus, if you will. So if I was to to put that up as a picture, this is kind of what the picture would look like. On the left, you've got a person who's under the law. Okay, they're in the flesh. They're not born again. They are controlled by the law. They are uh, 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 under the authority, under the power of the law. And then what happens? They are set free from that law, but not just to drift out in space. They are set free to be united with Jesus Christ. That's a really good picture in my mind of what has happened. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. So what we need to understand at this point is to live is not law-keeping. To live is Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said, didn't he? To to die is gain, but to live is what? Is Christ. It's not law-keeping. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about the law tonight, and some of you already, your mind's probably starting to fog up, right? he's going to talk about the law, because when we think about the law, we think, you know, Old Testament and Moses and Ten Commandments and temples and blood and sacrifices and priests and all this stuff that happened way back then. And let's be honest, we don't really have anything in our culture that's even remotely relatable to that. We, we just can't really relate to that. So sometimes when somebody gets up and starts preaching on the law or talking about the law, we tend to check out. And that not really have anything to me. But here's my, I want you to see, law keeping is alive and well. Lawkeeping is alive and well in this country. Law keeping is alive and well in this state. and It's alive and well in Walcott County. I want to give you an example. About nine years ago, I had an occasion to, to uh, do some research into a college. Um, what happened is someone I knew uh, was going to attend this college. It was a Christian college. And I had heard rumors about it. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, it, those are just rumors. I'll go look it up for myself. So I went out and I did a little research on this college and and looked at their student handbook and, and things like that. So I want to give you some of their uh, rules, some of their laws at this Christian college. Now, before I do that, I want to tell you, I, I, this was in 2012, so nine years have gone by. Okay, I didn't go by, I didn't have time this week to go back and look it up. So I'm going to, you know, it, it could have changed in the last nine years. But nine years ago, these were the rules at this Christian college uh, for their students. So let me give you a few of them. The first one is the dress code for men. Uh, number one, no pockets on the legs of your pants. I've I've thought that through. I, I have no clue. I, I got it. I don't, you know. So the cargo pants, right? You can't have pockets. I, I I don't know. Maybe somebody after the service has got a reason for that. I I have no clue. Uh, No frayed bottoms on your pants leg. You can't. Men can't wear a necklace. You must wear a belt at all times. No blue jean shirts or jackets allowed. No intentionally mismatching clothes. Now, first of all, okay. First of all, what is who's judging what's matching, right? And then how do you judge whether they intentionally did it or not? And then uh you must wear socks. Let me go back to that last one. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible somewhere that a man needs to wear socks, but I just hadn't quite uh hadn't quite found that yet, but I'll keep I'll keep looking. Dress code for women, you can probably figure uh, they have to wear skirts and dresses. They have to wear nylons with their skirts. They can't wear pants in their dorm. although sweats are permitted after prayer group and no backless shoes. Again, I, I don't know, maybe a man's going to see your heel and just can't control. I, I can't quite figure that one out either. Social interaction. You must return to your campus by 10 p.m. You may not go to the mall after 5 p.m. Males and females are to use separate public beaches. You may not go onto the campus of any other college in the area. Freshmen and sophomore women Must leave campus in groups of three or more, junior, senior women in groups of two. You may not interact with a student of the opposite sex in any way off campus without prior approval and an approved chaperone. Each gender must use. Now, listen to this one. This is I did check this out. This is still true today. Each gender must use segregated stairways, elevators, and in some cases, sidewalks. That means when you go into a building, there's a male elevator and there's a female elevator. There's a male side uh, stairway, and there's a female stairway. And in some cases, sidewalks where you have to separate and walk on those sidewalks. Siblings, brothers and sisters of the opposite sex should not interact in unchaperoned areas to abstain from the appearance of evil. No attending a movie theater or an approved concert event. And of course, no cracking the communion cups. Okay. Now, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with rules. I said it right up front, right? We need rules. We need to keep order. But folks, there are some things that instinctively just goes over the line. This is going beyond order. This is going to try and to mandate morality. This is trying to mandate and control behavior, to put people in a little box because you don't trust them, right? Now, by the way, this isn't any college. This is a Christian college. This is a a college which should be teaching kids, you're not under the law, you're under grace. There's a new way of life, but they're not doing that. Now, my question is why? Why would Christians, why would people who have been set free from the law, why would they make a choice to put themselves back under it and live that way? Why would they put themselves under a system of law-keeping. That, that's, I just want to know, why would they do that? Well, I've got two reasons for you why they do it, and they both come out of Scripture. The first one is this. They are not real Christians. They're fake Christians. They haven't really been set free. They're still under bondage. Paul said this in Galatians 2.18, If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. See, Paul says if you've been delivered from this set of rules and you come over here and you just rebuild a new set of rules, guess what? You just prove you haven't been changed. You just prove you're the exact same person you were under those other rules. You're not any different. Galatians 3.10 says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and, and do them. So these are just people who, they, they've got a semblance of religion, but they deny the power thereof, as, as Paul said. So these are fake Christians. Now, it, this would be my picture of these people, right? They, they got a Bible in one hand and they're pointing with the other. But the fact is, they're still bound by the law. They've never been set free. They've never been united to Jesus Christ. That's all they know is their, is their rules. Now, here's the second reason people will put themselves back under law. And I hope this is more the thing I want to talk about tonight. They're not fake Christians, they're real Christians, but Paul calls them foolish Christians. Foolish Christians. Galatians 3, 1 through 3, writes this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Let me ask you this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? by the flesh several years ago but actually it was a long time uh when when josh was born and he's 33 so this would have been 30 years ago i bought a book by james dobson called raising boys and um i'm pretty sure this was in that book although it may have been but he told about a study that they did and, and some of you that have uh been in my classes have heard me talk about this they did a study years ago there was a playground that had a fence around it and uh, kids would be up, go out on the playground, and kids would just run all over the place. They'd run to the, all, every edge of the fence. They'd play tag and hide and seek and just have a good old time. And then one evening when the kids went home, they went out and took the fence down, just took it completely down. And the next day, the kids go out on the playground, and they literally just got around the playground equipment and huddled up. They, they, they didn't know what to do because all their boundaries had been removed. Now, the point of the study was this, that kids need boundaries. That was the point. When kids have boundaries, it makes them feel safe. It makes them feel secure. That, okay, I'm safe here. I can run and play and have fun. People, I've heard people say, well, I don't put boundaries on my kids. Well, you're, that's a very foolish thing to do. Kids need safety. They need boundaries. They need to know that I'm protected. And then they can be who they are. Uh, who they need to be, but that was the point of the study. And I remember reading that, and that stuck in my head for a long time, and I realized one day that there's another lesson here for Christians. You see, as Christians, I think we want to feel in control, okay? We, we sometimes, you know, one of these days we'll get on the, the subject of, of, of of a lot of different things, I hope, as we move through this study, but we really have very little control, right? We, we have very little control. We, we pretend that we do. We think that we do. We fool ourselves that we do, but we have very little control. But we like to feel in control. So sometimes in order to do that, we'll put up our own boundaries or we'll return to our boundaries or we'll return to law-keeping. Well, why would we, why would we do that? Because law-keeping helps us feel in control. Law keeping helps us feel more secure in our faith. In fact, it gives us something to judge ourselves by. Listen, it's a lot easier just to have a bunch of check marks on your list, isn't it? And you could go down every day. Yep, got that one, got that one, got that one. You just check them off. It makes you feel good. I'm doing it, man. I'm, 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 I'm keeping the law. I'm staying in the, in the lanes. I'm, I'm, I've got lines. Are you with me? You, it makes you feel in control. And it gives you a way to judge yourself to see how you're doing. By the way, it also gives you a way to judge others. Oh, you know, I'm doing well with you. you you're not keeping that one, right? It, it's, just a, it's just a mess to get into. So law. this person, this foolish Christian, would look like this picture. They've actually been set free. They, they've been delivered. They've been united with Christ. But instead of staying in that relationship with Christ and trusting Him and loving Him and knowing Him, they, they step back over and they put themselves inside these rules. Now, why is that foolish? Here's why it's foolish. Because when you move away from Christ, you move away from the very source of your holiness. You move away from the, the very source of your life. And you come back over here to a bunch of rules that can do absolutely nothing for you. Absolutely nothing. And that is foolish. So you and I, as Christians, we've been set free to live in a new way, a different way. Now, in Romans 7, 6, Paul is going to bring us to the very precipice of this new way of living. Let's read that verse. He says this, "...but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. For what purpose, Paul?" so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So now, by the way, Paul's not going to expand on this, really, until we get to chapter 8. He's not ready to talk about it quite yet, but he just brings us to the very precipice and saying, man, that's not the way to live. There's a whole new way of life out there for you and I, and it's called life in the Spirit. And he's going to talk about that. But before he does, he's got some other things to say. Now, you may notice that I skipped over verse 5. And here's what Paul wants us to see in verse 5. It's not enough, you know, we we say we've been delivered from law-keeping and we've been united to Christ, and that's good and that's right. But it's it's not enough, we can't just keep law-keeping over there and look at it from time to time and say, you know, it might be good to go back over there. No, Paul says you need to die to that you need to put that completely out of your life. If you want to be the person that God wants you to be, if you want to bring forth fruit for God, then you got to get rid of that law keeping completely out of your life. Let's look at verse 5. Paul says this, I'll read the whole verse, and then we'll go back and walk through it. Paul says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, and that word passions just means desires, aroused by the law, We're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, guys, that is an astonishing statement, okay? It's an astonishing statement. The law, would we all agree the law is good? The Old Testament says the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is right. The law of the Lord is righteous. The law of the Lord is a a light unto my path. The law is good, good, good. But Paul just said something else. He said the law partners with my desires to actually produce the very sin that the law condemns. Let me say what again what he just said. He said, the law partners with my desires to produce in me the very sins that the law condemns. Now that is an astonishing statement. Now let's go back and see why he says that. Verse 5. He says, for while we were living in the flesh. Now, by the way, he's talking about an unregenerated person, somebody that's not born again, somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ. They've not been infilled. They are living in the flesh. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean about a person? Well, let's go Romans 8, 7, and 8. I'm going to jump ahead a chapter and give you a a, a description of somebody living in the flesh. Paul says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this is the, the idea here of a person or the description of a person who's in the flesh. Number one, they're hostile to God. They hate Him. They hate God. By the way, they're, they're perfectly happy to create their own God. They, they're fine with that, but the God of the Bible, they don't want Him. They don't want anything to do with Him. Number two, they will not submit to His law. In fact, Paul goes further and says they cannot submit to His law. Okay? And then finally, it says, they cannot please God. Now, I want you to think about this with me, what he just said, because it really helps us to understand human nature. It helps us understand who we were, and it helps us understand the people that we're trying to win to Christ. It helps us understand our children, by the way, if you understand what this means. See, what Paul is telling us here, or is revealing to us, is the very essence of our sinful condition the very essence of who you were before you were born again. And it turns out that our biggest problem, our primary issue, is not that we commit certain sins. We do that, and that's a bad thing, and the Bible speaks against that, but that's not our biggest problem. In fact, those are only symptoms of a greater disease. The the very essence of our fallen nature is that we are hostile to God. I mean, when we come out of the womb, we are hostile to God. We don't, we don't want to submit to His law. We cannot submit to His law. We will not submit to His law. His, none of them. His commandments is, we're just not going to do it. I don't want anything to do with Him. You see, sin, it turns out, is not first and foremost law breaking. Sin is first and foremost law hating. Have you ever noticed children that, um, They chafe against being told what to do. You ever notice that? In fact, it's a funny thing with with kids. Kids love rules. I don't know about your kids, but my my granddaughters, they love making up games and they love rules as long as it's their rules (laughs) and it's not your rules. You have rules, they're going to push back. Well, that's exactly what human beings do. We're perfectly fine, by the way, to make up rules as long as they're ours. But we don't want God telling us what to do. We don't want the authority of a holy God. Have you ever noticed that it seems like today, America and the world, they're they're perfectly fine with Buddhism. They're perfectly fine with, with Islam. They're perfectly fine with atheism. They're perfectly fine, but they don't like evangelical Christians. Because evangelical Christians hold up that Bible and say, this is the Word of God. They don't want that. Don't do that. Because in their very nature, they hate him. They're hostile to him. They don't want anything to do with his authority. They don't want anything to do with him telling them what to do. So again, it seems like a paradox, right? We're by nature law haters, but yet then we'll go out and establish laws, right? To make ourselves feel self-righteous. But that's the thing, right? Laws are fine as long as we make them. But they're not fine. We hate them when God makes them. And that's the paradox. There's an example I've been using. So Paul says, let me back up for a second. Paul says this, the law partners with our desires to actually produce the very sin that the law condemns. Now, what does Paul mean by that? This is an example I've been using for many years. And it's an example of a teenager. So I used this back in chapter 5 uh, when I told it, but I'll use it again because I think it gets the point across. There's a teenager, and his, his, his mom asked him to go out to the mailbox to get some mail. And so he goes out to the mailbox, and he gets the mail, and he comes in, and he walks in, and he, he drops it on the table, and he begins to walk off, and he catches something out of the corner of his eye. And out of the corner of his eye, he looks down, and he sees on one of those letters, or one of those cards, it says, for parents only, or for parents' eyes only. Now, are the words on that card are they sinful well, of course not right there's nothing they're just they're just words they're just truthful words these are for parent size only and he was just about to walk off until he saw that and then something happened you see the fact is the rebellion that was always there in his heart the rebellion that always was lying dormant when it sees those words it gets aroused Nobody's going to tell me what to do. If I want to look at that, I'll look at it. Who are they? To, who are they to say for parents? So that's my business. See, the very thing that lay dormant there is all of a sudden aroused by the words "Don't do that." See, that's exactly what Paul is telling us here. See, the thing, sin's always lying there. Our desires are lying there, and then the Word of God comes up and says, "Thou shalt not." And something inside of us says, "Oh yeah, watch this." Nobody tells me what to do. I'm the master of my ship. I'm the captain of my fate. I'll do what I want to do. We hate that. Human nature hates that authority of of the Word of God. And it arouses what's inside. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. You see, when the law meets an unregenerate heart, it doesn't awaken faith. It awakens resistance. Let me say that again. When the law meets an unbeliever, an unregenerate heart, it doesn't awaken faith. It doesn't awaken. Somebody doesn't look and say, wow, why didn't I see that a year ago? No, it always awakens resistance. It always reveals that rebellion, that hostility to God that's inside of us. You see, the law will never overcome sin. In fact, folks, it was never meant to. The law's whole job is just to bring sin out. The law is like a mirror that we look at, and we look at the law, and the law says, don't do this, and it just brings it out of us. Well, I am going to do that. The law is diagnostic. I've used this example for years. The the law is like an x-ray machine. It can tell you what's wrong, but it can't heal you. Think about that. An x-ray machine can show you exactly what the problem is, but it has no power to change you. It has no power to heal you. It has no remedial power. The law can accuse you, but it, it cannot pardon you. See, that's its job, by the way. It was never meant to bring healing. It was never meant to make anybody better. It was always meant to show you how sinful you are. Now, by the way, and we'll jump ahead a little bit here. What, what's the problem with the law? It's God's Word. What's wrong with it? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. See, the law is good. The law is perfect. The law is right. The law, it's all these good things, but when it comes into contact with a human being, it's our flesh that's the problem. It's our hostility to God that's the problem. Again, there's nothing wrong with, with God's law. In fact, the law should help us, right? When you think about it, the Bible says this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Make a choice. Walk in my ways. Do the right thing. It should help us. But because of our sinful human nature, it doesn't. It fails miserably because every time we see it, it just we rise up against it. So it's our inability that makes the law weak. That's why, by the way... Paul says, "By the works of the law, nobody will ever be made right with God. Nobody. Okay, it cannot justify us. It can only uh, condemn us." Now, I said earlier, and we'll we'll close here. I said earlier that death to law keeping is essential to serving God and bearing fruit. Remember, I said that we we got to die to the law. The question is, why is that? Okay. Well, now we see why. Paul says in Romans seven five. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. You see, as long as you rely on the law and you trust in the law, all that's going to do is just bring forth sin. That's You know, find me somebody that's living by the law, I'll show you a hypocrite. We see it every single day, don't we? People saying, don't do this, politicians. Right? Don't do this. And then what are they doing? They're doing the exact same thing they're telling you. Because that's, that's all the law does. It just brings forth fruit to death. It brings forth hypocrisy. Because we can't keep it. Because we don't want to keep it. We know we should. We want people to think we are. But down inside of our heart, we don't want to keep it. We, we're hostile to God in that way. So law keeping and sin partner together to ruin our lives. If we're going to be free from sin, we've got to be free from the law. If we're going to die to sin, we have to die to the law. I want to close with two applications for you tonight. Number one, you and I need to be aware, yes, I, I I am saved. I am a Christian. I am united with Jesus Christ. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But you and I need to be aware that we have we have a fleshly nature. And in that fleshly nature it is willful and it is rebellious. And that's why Paul said, I buffet my body, I discipline it so that, that, you know, I don't want to be disqualified. We have to remember, rely on Christ, preach the gospel to yourself every single day. I need Jesus today just as much as I did 47 years ago. I need to rely on Him, not on some rules, not on some laws. I need to rely on Him. Get up every day and, and look to Him. Okay, that's number one. Number two, okay and by the way, be humbled by that, right? Be humbled by that. Number two, when you stumble and fail, and by the way, you will stumble and fail because we all do. Don't look to the law as your remedy. Let me say it again. When you stumble and fall, don't go running to the law to, to make you a better person. More and better law keeping is not the answer to your failure. More and better law-keeping is never an answer. The law is just there to show you like a mirror who you really are. But it has has no power to change you. Only the Spirit of Jesus Christ indwelt in you and your union with Him. That's what changes us through the law. And we'll see next week why that changes everything. Why it changes how the law affects our, our life. You died to the law, Romans 7 4, so that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead. You see, Jesus is the answer to your failures. Not, a, not better rule keeping. See, sometimes I think we fail and immediately we just think, man, I got, I got to do this better. I got to, I got to, I mean, you know, I got to do, it's just, no, run to Jesus. Run back to your relationship with him. That's where you're going to find the remedy. So don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be the person that's been set free and then puts yourself back under the law. There's nothing there. Remember what I said earlier, that's foolish because it just divorces you from the very source of your life and the very source of your holiness. A relationship with Jesus Christ. We said this two weeks ago. We said it last week, we'll say it again tonight. A relationship with a living, breathing, risen person, Jesus Christ, that is the foundation of our life, and that is the foundation of our holiness. We should know Him. We should love Him. We should trust Him. We should put ourselves under His authority. Have a relationship with Him. And we'll find out next week, that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, as we always do, for this uh, wonderful book of Romans. And Lord, we know that, I know that, uh, uh, you know, the law for us, the Old Testament and all of that sometimes is just, it, it, we, we feel it's not relatable. But help us to see, Lord, that law keeping is any time that we try to put ourselves back under rules and regulations. God, help us. If I, if I don't get anything else across tonight, help us, Lord, look to our relationship with you as a source of our life, as a source of our righteousness, and as a source of our holiness. You'll take care of all the rest of it. You'll take care of all the rest of the stuff if we just look to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.